On Sunday evenings, we have been working through the Apostle John's first epistle, and we come this evening to 1 John chapter 2, and um, we will actually read verses 15 to 29. That's 1 John 2, verses 15 to 29. Let's hear the word of God. Do not love the world or the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away, and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Little children, it is the last hour. And as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest, uh, that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. I have not written to you because you do not know the truth, but because you know it, and that no lie is of the truth. Who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist, who denies the Father and the Son. Whoever denies the Son does not have the Father either. He who acknowledges the Son has the Father also. Therefore, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise that he has promised us, eternal life. Concerning these things I have written to you, Sorry, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. But the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. But as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true, and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in him. Amen. And thanks be to God for his word. Now, for as long as people have gathered to confess faith in the Lord God, uh, Old Testament, New Testament alike, uh, those gatherings of peoples, whether it be synagogues or church, have uh, continued through their pilgrimage, um, walking along, let's call it the road of faith, and there's been ditches on either side, a ditch to the left a ditch to the right. And those ditches cover almost all um, the, the grievances and errors that arise in God's people. On the one hand, uh, for thousands of years now, uh, there have been uh, those who would come to replace God's teaching with false teaching. We've seen in our studies in John that that was one of the problems that John addressed. 
and, and ever since the serpent came into the garden, um, that has been happening. Truth being replaced with a lie. Did God really say you shouldn't eat of the trees in the midst of the garden? And, and uh, whether it be in biblical times or more recently, uh, we see the same thing happening. Um, if you know anything of church history, you can think of Arianism, Pelagianism, or even more recently, evolutionism, and so on. Replacing the word of God with a contrary message. That's the one group of errors. And then there's been another group of errors where um, people have come to arisen up in the church uh, of, of God and they haven't argued about truth. Maybe they've quite happily confessed it. Perhaps reciting scripture in worship services. Perhaps using uh, uh, creeds such as the Apostles' Creed and so on. They'll check all the doctrines. But then the way they live is completely different. And they deny any connection between the gospel and law of scripture and the life that should be led. In John's epistle, we've seen something of that as well. And, and you, if you've read anything about church history, you'll be able to think of situations where it wasn't one or the other, but the one led to the other, and it was both errors together. And, and from the very first chapter, John has been addressing those who knew the truths of Christ, who, who had, had owned those truths, and bit by bit were being led one way or another uh, into doubt, lack of assurance, and even rank falsehood. And, and uh, John, you will recall, he, he, he's taught them um, and reminded them there at the beginning of chapter 1 key truths about who Christ is, about what he does. And then also truths, if you confess that you're in relationship with the Lord, that is, in the light, then you can't live or you can't walk in darkness. Now that was explained fully. And, and now um, we, we come to the end of chapter 2. Uh, we saw last week how John told his church, uh, or his community, perhaps it's more than one church, I don't know, uh, that this world's coming to an end. You've got to have the right perspective on time. Don't love what is limited and temporary and empty. The one who does the will of God abides forever. Now here, from verse 18 through to... Um, I only read to 27. Um, 18 to 27... John addresses deception and deceivers in the church. I want to point to you again to something John says about the timing. We looked at that quite a bit last week and it continues through. A few comments then about the times. Then secondly, I want to point out to you some rather obvious characteristics of the deceivers. John calls them antichrists. Those who were anti our Lord Jesus Christ. Characteristics of the Antichrists. But also John gives us characteristics 
of those who remained faithful. So the timing, characteristics of the deceivers, antichrists, and characteristics of those who are faithful. Um, We started reading there verse 18. Little children, it is the last hour. John tells his community, he tells us through the Holy Spirit, uh, that we are living in the last hour. And this is the same point that the Apostle James, the Apostle Peter make when they talk about the last days. It's actually Old Testament language. Um, Prophets, particularly Hosea, uh, Amos, looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. Uh, And and they said, those will be the last days. When when, um, John writes about this last hour, I'm sure you understand, he's not saying we've got one more hour on the clock and then. He doesn't mean that at all. He's not speaking chronologically. He's speaking theologically. John, um, in in, uh, keeping with the other apostles, understands the period of time that we live in between Christ's first coming and his second coming as the last days or the last hour. Um, they, they use that language to make the point uh, that there's not going to be any other um, major event punctuating, major event of salvation punctuating this period between now and the end. There's not going to be another outpouring of the Holy Spirit like Pentecost. There's not going to be another arrival of a Messiah like Christ himself. Um, There's not going to be new revelation which will show us a different way of salvation. Rather, the gospel has been given to us and it will continue outworking until Christ comes at the end. He'll wrap up all things, we're told. And and, um, be, be aware, brothers and sisters, when Christ ascended to heaven and sent his spirit on the church. Um, From that time on, all humanity, uh, those of us who believe, those who don't, all humanity has been living on the threshold of eternity. That's the perspective John wants us to have. He knows that in his time, many uh, men and women would deny that. The Apostle Peter uh, spoke quite eloquently of that, didn't he? Peter said uh, that there would be those who would rise and, and they would say, Where is the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things have continued as they were from the beginning. John tells us no. And John is echoing Christ's own teaching here. Christ said that in the last times, false Christs, he said, false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect. John is saying what Christ said, in other words. And and he goes on then and warns um, uh, his community of a church or churches then and warns us now of those who would come. Um, those who Jesus himself called pseudo-Christs, false Christs. 
John calls them antichrists, uh, false prophets, we could say. And, And look with me there, and you'll see certain features or characteristics of these antichrists. You see verse, uh, verse 18 uh, says, even now many antichrists have come, by which we know it's the last hour. Then verse 19, they went out from us, but they were not of us. So the first characteristic John says about these pseudo-Christs or false Christs and antichrists is that originally they were in the church. They're not the leaders of society who public, publicly and implacably are against Christ. Um, in John's time, uh, with the Roman Empire, with Jewish persecution, with such, there were those who were against Christ. But that's not who he's referring to. And, and we can think of individuals um, in government, uh, in culture, uh, in academia, who... who Scorn and deny Christ. They're not the ones John's describing. The first characteristic of these false teachers, false Christs, antichrists, is that they had been in the visible community of saints. They are the wolves in sheep's clothing. Um, John in, in John 2 uh, says the same in thing, uh, in, in Second John, I mean to say. Uh, he says there, they were of us, and they left us. There is a way in which the church that we see is a mixed bag. We, we, we've made that, we've taught that clearly. There are some attending church, members of, of, of local churches... Uh, who are in the church, but not of the church, if we can put it like that. Uh, John says there, they went out from us, they were not of us. They were uh, false teachers, and John also includes here uh, those who followed the false teachers unrepentantly. And the Apostle Paul says the same to the Galatians. O foolish Galatians, who has what? Who has bewitched you? Before your eyes, Christ Jesus was publicly displayed or portrayed as crucified. There's always been those who lead people into a lie and who unrepentantly, determinedly follow that lead and are bewitched in the lie. And John here is saying, this is one of the distinguishing features. They're in the church. But they were not of the church, of the faith. And, and we'll see how, um, how that's the case in, in, in what follows. But the second characteristic feature of these who are anti-Christ, uh, I'd point you to verse 22. They are those who deny that Jesus of Nazareth is the Christ. Uh, Verse 22, who is a liar but he who denies that Jesus is the Christ? He is Antichrist who denies the Father and the Son. Christ means anointed one, Messiah. 
There were false teachers who denied that Jesus, uh, the child of Mary, was the anointed one, the Messiah, the Christ. They denied this uh, by refuting the central point of Christ's identity. Um, Second John again, we're told that many deceivers have gone out from us into the world, refusing to confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such a person is a deceiver and the Antichrist. You might say there's many ways to deny the gospel and who Christ is. Their way was to say uh, that this Jesus wasn't God in the flesh. He hadn't come down from heaven. Mr. Hubbard, in this morning's Sunday school class, was focusing on those very words there in John 6. They, they denied the reality of either Christ's divinity, saying he's human, or of Christ's humanity, saying he's some kind of spirit. Um, you may have heard of, uh, we could call it school of thought, that might be a bit flattering, um, a school of thought in this, in this time called Gnosticism, the Gnostics. They were the ones who had the secret hidden knowledge or gnosis hence their name and and they maintain there is a complete separation between the spiritual which was good and the physical which was bad so god who is perfect spirit could never become flesh which is bad and instead they put all these differing ranks of semi-gods and demi-gods and then super angels and normal angels and kind of half carnal angels and us and they tried to fit Christ into that wherever they wished. And, and they would also claim special knowledge, special revelation, special enlightenment. And that made them a superior class of spiritual being. They tended to deny that in the physical world the supernatural could happen. Because there's this gulf that must be maintained. And... Um, Some of you know the modern father in the faith, Ian Hamilton. Uh, He says, the spirit of Antichrist is as prevalent today as it was in John's day. The professing church is full of men who are anti-supernaturalists. You might be able to think of teachers who deny deny the... Incarnation, deny the resurrection, deny that Christ walked on water, raised Lazarus, and so on. They deny Christ and God's plan of salvation. And that's the second characteristic of these who uh, John calls antichrists. Um, Connected to this, you could call it a third characteristic if you wish. They have no relationship with the Trinity. Uh, That's what we read there at the end of uh, verse uh, 23 and again in uh, 25. In denying who Christ is, they know neither the Father nor the Spirit. I mean, children, you know the words of our Lord. No man comes to the Father but what? Thank you, but by me, but through me. 
if we do not hold to the precise teaching of who Christ is in Scripture, then we separate ourselves from God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Doctrine matters. Doctrine matters eternally. So that's the antichrists, if you like. The pseudo or false Christs, as our Lord calls them, the false teachers. And and how are we to identify and avoid these, these deceivers and these liars? Well, John tells us what the characteristic of a true believer is and what we should aspire to. Uh, first, by implication, you could say in verse 19 and verse 28, I'm jumping around a bit. The true believers are those who stay in the church. They don't go out because they were not of us. Uh, verse 19 there, I mean, let's back up, sorry. Um, kind of big picture first. Who's John writing to here? He's writing to those who stayed to listen. He's writing to those who came to the corporate gatherings where the letter was read. That might have been Lord's Day worship or because of persecution. It might have been some smaller gathering. But John's writing to those who remained and persevered in faith. Uh, Verse 19, what do the Antichrist do? They go out from us. Being read to those who hadn't done that and who were continuing. Uh, Verse 28, even uh, going on to verse 29, um, if I may just paraphrase, I should have read this and we didn't. Um, Who's John writing to there? Those who abide in him until he comes. Look to his coming with confidence. Why? Because they knew Christ the righteous one, and they themselves knew that he who practices righteousness is born of him. What's the most elementary way of practicing righteousness in a fallen world? Being with the saints and worshipping God. So, what is one of the first characteristics of true believers that separates them and keeps them distant from the deceivers? They remain faithful to the church, the community, and persevere in that faithfulness. The second characteristic is more mystical. Um, You'll see it in verse 21, first of all. They uh, they know the truth, and there is no, no, no lie in them. And they know this because they have been anointed. Um, jump to verse, um, they have the anointing of the Spirit. Uh, my apologies here. Um, yes, eventually. Uh, verse 27, sorry I've got a wrong reference in my notes. Thank you for your patience. You see verse 27, the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you. That's a reference to the supernatural work of the Holy Spirit. Um, you might wonder, uh, there in verse 27, what does John mean when he says, you have no need that, nobody, that anyone teach you? John isn't saying a true Christian doesn't need teachers. If that was the case, why would he be writing to them, instructing them? 
The whole of the Bible teaches us to the contrary, doesn't it? We do need spiritual teachers. Rather, John is saying that those who've been anointed or indwelt with the Holy Spirit, um, uh, verse 29, those who are born of him, uh, that they, by the work of the Holy Spirit within them, will be able to distinguish between truth and falsehood. This is the promise of the new covenant. Jeremiah 33 No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all know me from the least of them to the greatest, says the Lord. For I'll forgive their iniquity and their sin, remember, no more. If you are born of God, the Holy Spirit teaches you truth. And that causes you uh, to uh, recognize with increasing, increasing clarity as you walk faithfully, the lies. You might remember Mr. Campbell's illustration of um, the Secret Service in America and how the Secret Service is responsible for um, identifying, identifying counterfeit currency, isn't it? Mr. Campbell, at the time in banking, uh, used to say, how is the Secret Service trained to identify Uh, counterfeit currency well by spending time handling the real thing in contact with it examining it looking at it so they almost instinctively know the details so that when a a fake hundred dollar bill with Benjamin Franklin comes up they know straight away the feel of the paper the weight of the paper the imprint the watermark and so on So it is with those born of the Spirit. You don't need to take university courses and such on heresies. You do need to immerse yourself in the word of God and know the truth. And that leads me to the last characteristic of those who are true believers. The Holy Spirit teaches them from the word of God. Uh, Verse 24. Let that abide in you which you heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you will also abide in the Son and in the Father. What have they heard from the beginning? The word of God. The testimony of the Old Testament prophets and of the other apostles in the New Testament age. The Holy Spirit doesn't come and teach us knowledge and doctrine from some new body of knowledge, of revelation. The Holy Spirit uses the word of God. And this is exactly what Christ told his disciples in the upper room in the farewell discourse. The Holy Spirit would bring to their recollection all things he taught them, not something new. James, the half-brother of our Lord, he points out the same. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. Be doers and not hearers only. John is saying, these are the antichrists, the false teachers. This is what they're like. 
This is what a true believer is like. And these characteristics enable us to avoid the error. The world is set to deceive. That's its nature. The prince of this world is the great deceiver. Sadly, that spirit creeps into the church. There's ways it did it in the Old Testament, but since Christ's coming, it's the lie directed against Christ himself. Brothers and sisters, we must walk in the spirit with the Spirit, depending on the Spirit, seeking to develop our knowledge of the word that the Spirit revealed through those chosen men so that we can identify anti-Christ teaching and anti-Christ people. And then when Christ appears, we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the inspired teaching of your apostles. Uh, We thank you for uh, John and his his direct teaching uh, regarding truth and falsehood. We pray that you would give us a, a greater love for Christ and truth and the light and all that is in keeping with that. These things we pray in our Savior's name. Amen.